the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Hour 2 of Southern California Live. Scott Furrow with you today. It's great to be with you as we are each and every weekday from 3 to 5 right here on this station. You can join our conversation by calling 888-528-2557. In fact, Today is Open Phone Friday. This hour we'll do Open Phone Friday. I've got a couple of subjects that I'll talk about. And if you would like to change the subject, you are you can do that on Friday. And other days we make you stick with the subject. But if you want to change the subject or if you want to stay with the subject, you can do that today. And uh, if you've got a Bible question, a question about something going on in the world, comments you want to make, um, give us a call. Today's the right day for it. The number is 888-528-2557. In a minute, we'll do uh, something I want to call the outrage. The uh, I was going to call it the outrage of the week. It's kind of that way, but I really want to call it the absurdity of the week. We'll talk about that in a minute. Maybe it's a segment that I will, I will do. There are so many absurd things that are going on in our world today. I don't know how much we even need to comment on it other than just to point it out. So we'll do that, but mostly we'll take your calls. 888-528-2557 is the number. You can also send an email to SoCalLive at KKLA.com. Let's go to Charlie in Westminster. Charlie, welcome to Southern California Live. Uh, thank you, Scott. Uh, got a couple minutes. I uh, did uh, mental health investigations for almost 19 years, and uh, I, I, I'd like to give you the, the perspective of uh, some guy who worked for the public defender. All right, hold on a second. Um, uh, just so people know, in the last hour of our program, in case you're just joining us, we talked about mental health with the homeless. Our guest was Officer Dion Joseph. Officer Dion is a regular guest on our program. And so he was talking about it from his perspective of working in uh, Skid Row area for 25 years as an officer. So I just want to give people that background, Charlie. So what are your thoughts about this, and, and really where do we go to make this oh, better? Well, um just just bouncing off it, uh, the mental health court system and the, the statutes aren't perfect, but we got to balance things, Scott. You know, um, yeah, it gives freedom to some people who, uh, who m- sometimes don't deserve that kind of freedom. But the, the, the big catch is it, it protects the, the rights of, of you and I, and especially, I think, women. Because, you know, say some guy... You know, you're talking about the... uh, uh, Just so that we're clear, are you talking about um, the rights of people not to be uh, locked up without their permission? Is that kind of what... Yeah, yeah, conservatorship. Say uh, some guy's having a a bad marriage and doesn't want to go through the hassle of divorce. And say we didn't have a mental health court system like we do now. Uh, He could get a couple of his doctor buddies to uh, uh, certify his wife and uh, have her locked in, in, a, in a facility and, and throw away, and he could throw away the key. And sometimes some of our clients, you know, who are really bad, um, uh, their, their conservators have, have been through it badly, maybe had the, their son burned down their house or something. And that's what they'd like to do is, is throw away the key. And... Uh, um, the thing is, it's a balance between freedom and also respect for people because these people are humans. 
Yeah. And um, uh, they uh, they are not quite as bad, I think, uh, as Officer Dion said. Well, he's but working Officer with the people Dion, who are in the worst case. Yeah, uh, well, right. I, my my clients were all, uh, you know, for the most part, with, with a couple of exceptions, on conservatorship. They, the judge had decided that they were uh, that they could not provide food, clothes, and shelter for themselves. Now, this is not the kind of of standard where they're a danger. To other people, so and and my clients mostly were medicated, yeah. so that we didn't see the see the guys. I mean, I, I had a couple incidents, but I never real I never got hurt. Um, and one of the things you do is if if uh, a staff member, a nurse, or, or uh, a psych tech tells you, no, we must be present for the interview. You better listen to them because I, I you know <laughs> one of them saved me once. Which is which is a violation of, of uh, attorney-client privilege, but uh, I had to do it. I had to get yeah. uh, get the interview completed. So okay. what do we do? How do we solve this so that it doesn't get better? I know everybody's got there's a lot of ideas, and I think you're right. We've got to find a balance. But we're what we're doing it doesn't seem to me that it's really working, and it's getting worse. So what do we do? I, I don't know if it's getting worse. You know, the ones that the officer sees. The numbers the are pretty overwhelming see, about it getting worse. The ones that you see on the street are are some of the psychotics. The ones that you that who take their medication and he, who either live with their families or sometimes work. And you'll see some stars. There's mm-hmm. a there's a, a psychiatrist. There's a mm-hmm. law prof. You know, but they're stars. You well, know, he's he's dealing with homeless people though. So people who who aren't living at home, whose families are are not available for multiple reasons. You know, that's a big, there's a difference, I think. And I I think what you're talking about is great that, that they people have some support and that some can even work and they can stay on their medications. You know, I'm lot, guessing that more than half of my clients didn't have uh, families like that. Yeah. And they were, they were conserved by the L.A. County Public Guardian's Office. Uh, and they have the same powers that uh, uh, a private conservator does. So these uh, these public guardians they they, they do a good work, um, but we, we got to watch them too, you know, because right. uh, they, 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 they there's uh, a lot of money oversight. changing hands here, yeah. uh, you know, and we're not we too have, sure where that's going. We have lawyers and a paralegal in court who who watch that kind of thing uh, in uh, Department ninety five, the mental health courthouse. Um, so you know, I. I uh, I don't have an answer for the future. I just wanted to give you the other side that, you know, you've got people at home with their families. You've got people in locked facilities who ought to stay in locked facilities. You've got people who uh, are, are in board and cares, which is just like yeah. your house or my house. But they, they have uh, uh, a, a um, uh, half a dozen psychotic patients and somebody who fixes their meals and hands out the medications and some of these places are nice, and some of these places are pigsties. Yeah, but but we need all of them. We need the <clears throat> pigsties too. You, you know. You're right. <laughs> hey, let me ask you a question. This is yeah. Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. It is Open Phone Friday. The number is eight 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 five two eight two five five seven. You can give a call about anything, or you can join the conversation we're having now. You can change the subject or stay with us. Eight 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 five two eight two five five seven. And our caller is Charlie from Westminster. And Charlie, so thinking about it from the standpoint of a family 
who has a relative or somebody close to them who is clearly having some mental health issues, but they don't know what to do. And maybe they're concerned that that person might end up in as a homeless person or in uh, criminal trouble. What is the step to do? Because I, I think that's one of the things we were talking about with Officer Dion is that by the time the police are involved and by the time you're on Skid Row and by the time you're committing violent crimes and you don't know who you are, we're, we're so late at giving help. Yeah. Isn't uh, a big part a of the solution? Yeah. How do we there's start? There's an organization called NAMI. Uh, I'm not sure what uh, all the letters stand for, but it's for families with people like uh, people who are psychotic. And uh, they would be helpful. Um, you know, um, there are private lawyers. You know, our uh, public defenders would go up against the conservators' lawyers. Either, you know, if it was the, um, uh, uh, the public guardian, uh, the opponent would be um, uh, the, city, uh, the city attorney. Yeah. If it was uh, a private conservator, but, I mean, if I'm just, it, it if would... I'm just a parent and my kid is displaying obvious mental health issues and maybe there's drugs, maybe there isn't, what's my first step to prevent them from going so far down the road that it's maybe not possible to help? If they have a chance of being judged uh, um, Unable to give them get themselves food, clothes, and shelter, and that doesn't mean they have so to earn the money. Get, it has to get to that point, though, where you go to court and you say this person's incapable. Yeah, yeah, that's hard yeah. to do. And then, that's hard to then do. You, you get a, a private person can get a a, a, a a mom or dad can get a um, a private lawyer and uh, uh, file conservatorship papers. Okay. Uh, I, um, the, usually, unfortunately, you know you, uh, the way things are. You know, I I I have a friend of a uh, a friend with a brother, and it's not working out well. There is a new statute that that uh, was passed after I retired, about, uh, but that requires the uh, the patient's. As I understand it, it requires the patient's permission. Yeah, and that's the that's the big catch. Yep. You know, these uh, uh, the you know you uh, a, a number of these psychotics think, well, I'm I'm not psychotic. You know the cops right. are after me. You know that you know that, you know. Uh, and and that's I, it. they're they're a victim in some ways, right? They don't know they're doing what they're doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, I hear from God. I can heal people. Um, you know, and uh, uh, as I understand it, real schizophrenia is fifty percent genetic and fifty percent of unknown origin. Yeah, there's a lot, Charlie. And, I want to get to some other calls, but uh, okay, I appreci- okay, yeah. appreciate your call very much. Just one more thing before I before yeah. I get off: the mentally ill are more likely to be victims than they are to be perpetrators. Yeah, I think that even uh, even when there are the perpetrators, in a way, they're they're victims, and I think that's why we got to handle this early before uh, it gets there. And that's very very hard, as you're pointing out. Thank you very much, Charlie, for sure. Yeah, for you're your, welcome, your Scott. Call. And for listening to Southern California Live, you know, he, he brought the idea of how hard it is. You got to think about this. We feel like we if we could just take people away and lock them up somewhere and give them the treatment that that would help. And it would. But you do have to be careful with that. The abuse that comes with that, you know, in a lot of you know, we're in a time now when everybody's calling each other fascists and in tyrannical government and this or that. Well, what happens in that type of society is. A uh, person can just get someone else locked up by claiming they're they're crazy. That's what Stalin did to a lot of his people, sent them off to Siberia, and suddenly his opponents were uh, gone and in a facility. Uh, you know, there are extremes on this other side. It's very, very hard. My thought is, as believers in particular, as the church, that there is a lot more that we can do before, you know, as soon as lawyers are involved, my experience has been, 
once you got lawyers and you're talking about conservatorship and other stuff, it's very difficult. It's very hard because people do have rights, and you don't want to be taking people out of society who are functional or people to abuse. And at the same time, you know, we're we're not doing well. It is getting uh, significantly worse. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. You can call about anything you want or continue the conversation today because it is Open Phone Friday. The number is 888-528-2557. You can call now, continue the conversation, or change the subject. We do that on Fridays, 888-528-2557. Let's go to Margarita in Fontana. Welcome to Southern California Live. Hi, um, I just wanted to comment. Um, I was I listened to the policeman that was on Skid Row, yeah, and he had some really good points. And also, um, the gentleman that just spoke, he had some really good points. And um, I live in a neighborhood where there is one of those homes. There's a home, and I guess they let them out because they think they're um, okay to be let out into the public. It's a home for Um, people who are mentally ill? Right. Okay. And so uh, the people that live here in in our neighborhood have lots of children, and you have some of them that are really sweethearts, and they pass by and good morning, ma'am, and you speak to them, and like I said, but you can tell that they're not very well taken care of. Yeah. They're very terrible. They don't monitor their medicines. Um, is this kind of like we, a halfway house for these people in jail and then released or no well they're not in jail they're just mentally ill okay and I guess uh, they determine that they're well enough where uh, if if the government if they pays their rent and buys their meds then they're okay all right but that's not the case because yeah. there have been people in our neighborhood that have been attacked by these people yes. And um, also, there was a woman that um, used to come by, and and we used to feed her. And um, when she took her meds, she was a sweetheart. But when she didn't, watch out. Yeah, it's a it's a major deal with people, right? Um, what do you think we need to do to to turn the tide I, on this? You know that that's well. I just think uh, it needs to be rethinked the whole situation because they're not. Um, I don't know if they need more better supervision so that they do take their meds because it's a choice of their own. Right, um, you can't force them ultimately. Right, you can't force them. But like I said, some of them are truly sweethearts, and some of them you can tell they really need care. Um, they get into fights. They get into they stand at the local liquor stores asking for money, um, and knowing very well that the government supports them. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I've even had a run-in with one of them that just really just chewed me out, and he, the lady at the boarding house that she was going to call the police because supposedly we beat him up and broke his glasses and things like that. And I said, yeah, this, he's, he's got it totally wrong. Yeah. Margarita, thank you so much for your call and for listening to Southern California Live. You know, it is uh, this problem. It is increasing. Uh, the World Health Organization uh, is stating that it is increasing significantly as much as 13% is their number that I just found in the last decade. We talked about um, this and it's tied very often to, to illegal drug use. 
And, you know, I think that is a point that we have to acknowledge. There's definitely a genetic component, okay? And I know many of you are are dealing with that, um, and that's certainly part of it. But for so many people, and especially people once they're on the street or people it's difficult to help, they got there very quickly because of drug use. And we're talking about it begins, it often begins with marijuana. Officer Dion says that, and, and what we're seeing, there's been some excellent reporting in the L.A. Times, by the way, uh, a few weeks ago, just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about it on the show about how legalizing pot in California has not been something that has been a benefit to the state uh, financially or otherwise. It is harming the state and it is increasing drug use and hard drug use and other stuff. Um, and uh, the illegal drug trade has increased and not decreased. Um, actually, good reporting on that in the L.A. Times. Drugs, illegal drugs and even legal drugs now as we're beginning to uh, legalize them further. It is a major part. It hurts our brains. Our brains are physical parts of our body. It's not our consciousness, okay? Our brains have neurons and and pathways and all kinds of stuff I don't really understand, except that I know that what we put into our bodies affects our whole bodies, including our brains. That's why even things, it's why drugs, it affects us physically, it's why, you know, if you get drunk or you get high or you, you take drugs, it's because it's it's actual chemical part of your body and you don't recover. You lose something. And some people lose it immediately. Other people lose it over time. It, there's certainly DNA reasons for all of that. It matters greatly. You know, there's, you know, we didn't, we didn't get into it. I asked Officer Dion, you know, what he thought about President Biden uh, pardoning people who are have been convicted federally on a simple marijuana charge. And, you know, it's kind of like one of those things. It's now that it's being legalized everywhere. It's pretty lame carrying around some kind of conviction uh, for something that's now legal. You know, I certainly get that that argument uh, to it. Um, but these this attitude that we have that putting something in your body that creates and I'm not talking about medical marijuana, okay? I'm not talking about pain relief or medical uses like that and the research that's going on there. I mean, everything, ultimately, the drugs and stuff that we're able to use, it's amazing what people can do, okay? I'm talking about recreational, I just want to feel better or I want to forget something that's going on, that kind of use. You know what? There's, there are consequences to, to all of those things, physical, actual consequences, and Part of it, what we're seeing, and I think personally, I think that a lot of the problem that we have that is drug induced anyway, which I think I think Officer Dion is right. It's a lot more than half is because we have such an attitude overwhelmingly about a a lack of personal responsibility, not just over ourselves, but even about our role in the community, if that makes sense. You know, it it used to be, you've probably heard the term, you know, the town drunk. You know, there's somebody who everybody knows who is too much into the sauce and people sort of don't know what to do to help this guy. But everybody kind of tries to help. But he's the reason he's the town drunk is because he's not responsible to the whole community and he creates that problem. Well, now we're saying basically we used to say morally this person shouldn't be that way. Maybe there's something we can do to help. I mean, it went so far 100 years ago. As we tried to outlaw alcohol, which just was a bad way to approach it, right? The prohibition, and we created organized crime and Al Capone and all of that. So we got rid of that. It didn't work. Uh, I believe the answer ultimately is to be spiritually right with Christ, okay, ultimately. 
But the weird stuff is that we've gone so far the other way now where everybody seems to have a right to harm themselves. And we, we talk about things like victim, victimless crimes a lot when it comes to drugs and other stuff, which is baloney. All of this is costing everybody money in their health care. It's costing the health care system something. Somebody's paying for everybody who's in trouble. It, it is causing harm. We have people with mental illness who are hurting themselves and hurting other people, and it is increasing. And we're throwing hundreds of millions of dollars at it. And uh, nobody really believes it's it's impacting things the right way. I think we have to change our attitude about who we are as human beings. As a Christian, I think it has to do with the way you're supposed to treat your body and and who we are. We're made in the image of God. We're not designed to deliberately bring harm to ourselves. Sin creates that, and I know we do that from from other things. You know, it's McDonald's has a uh, you know, adult Big Mac out. You know, how many of us are going to go get one of those? You know, we probably shouldn't, but hey, it's good. There's there's things like that that over time, you know, one Big Mac is probably not going to hurt you. But if you're eating that only for a few years, you're going to have all kinds of problems, right? There's multiple things we do in the sinful world. But the behind a lot of it is that we don't have an attitude about who we are made in God's image and what that should mean for how we teach, how we encourage people, uh, how we are compassionate for people who have mental illness uh, whether it's the genetic or brought upon by upon themselves by drugs or bad decisions, there's a compassion that comes from understanding that humanity is special, made in the image of God, and we need to be thinking a lot more in that way. When we get back, we will uh, take your calls, 888-528-2557. You can call about anything you want today. It is uh, Open Line Friday. I want to talk about an absurdity that happened this week in a high school in Vermont. Um, and um, where um, somebody who believes he's a girl wanted to shower with the girls in the high school, and uh, the girls objected to that, and uh, the girls got in trouble, uh, not the dude who went in there. Absurdity of the week. We'll talk about that in a minute when we get back. This is Southern California Live, Open Phone Friday, 888-528-2557. I'll be back as the Friday edition continues. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557 is the number. I thought I would give you what I think is the biggest absurdity of the week. We need, like, that's the Weird Al Yankovic, you know, theme, I guess, maybe for that. We'll find some good Weird Al song for the absurdity of the week. My boys listen to Weird Al now, and sometimes, and I'll play, like, the original song. Like, this is what he... My boys are like, well, sometimes the Weird Al version is better, and sometimes they're right. And that song you just played is an example of the Weird Al one being brilliant and much better than the original. Uh, Not very nice song, actually. He's mocking. Anyway, 888-528-2557. It is Open Phone Friday. You can change the subject there if you'd like to call or just join us for the subject. In Vermont, a Randolph Union High School had a situation where... In the girls' locker room, remember a few years ago when uh, people said this was going to happen and everybody said, no, that's a slippery slope, straw man, all these arguments. Boys are not going to go into the girls' bathrooms just to take a peek. Well, you know, if we uh, pursue uh, sort of this transgender uh, ideology. Well, what's happened at this high school is, and this is high school, okay, we're talking about 14-year-olds here in the girls' locker room. A guy goes in there who believe, who says he's transgender. He's 14, okay? And uh, with the other 14-year-olds, he's sitting on a bench in the girls' locker room while they're showering and uh, just sitting there. 
And at other points, he takes off his clothes in there, and he still has all of his boy parts. Okay, are you with me? And here's what happens. The girls said this. Somebody said, please don't come in here. We're still changing. They call out loud. But she comes in anyway and says, no, it's fine because I identify as a girl and stayed in there and just watched as the girls kept dressing. Now, this is for real. This was happening in high school, 14-year-old. This must be freshman, okay? And uh, one female student said that the interaction made her incredibly uncomfortable. And her mother compared the incident to uh, voyeurism, and uh, which you would think so, right? And they basically said, why are you uncomfortable? Well, he's a dude. And he was born a boy. And I don't care if he's on my team. See, he joined the girls' volleyball team, so this is on the girls' volleyball team. And what one girl said is that I don't care if he's on my team. He can join any team. I don't care. But when I'm undressing and there's a male in the girls' locker room or in the bathroom with me, I feel very uncomfortable. Another female student had similar idea. She says, I think everyone feels this way about going into the locker room. You shouldn't be uncomfortable in there, uh, said female student B, who's also 14. And she joked that since all the girls have the same body parts, they are comfortable changing around one another. But when the boy who is identifying as a girl comes through, we don't feel that way. It's like a male is in here and everyone feels so offered. You know why it feels like there's a male in there? Because there's a male in there. Now, here's what I don't understand about this. I mean, I, none of it makes any sense. And this is so absurd that we even have to have this conversation. It comes down to this, though. If another 14-year-old boy goes into the girls' locker room and stares at girls while they're dressing or undressing or gets in the shower or takes off his pants and he's hanging out with them, uh, <clears throat> the... If he says, I'm a boy, I identify as a male, what happens to him in this scenario? The same scenario, what happens to him? Uh, What happens to him is that he gets arrested, perhaps goes to, you know, he gets expelled. He's in a lot of trouble. But if he does exactly the same thing and goes in there and says, I'm a girl, guess who got in trouble? Not him. The girls got in trouble for objecting to this. That is what happened. And when they complained to the administration, the administration said, well, I don't see why you have a problem with this. He identifies as a girl. And there's this whole discussion going on in Vermont right now, Republicans and Democrats alike in that state. Vermont state slogan, I think it's, but you can't name two of our cities. In Vermont, uh, they're having this discussion to try to figure out what to do. And they've removed the girls' volleyball team from their own locker room, and they've given it alone to the boy who identifies as a girl in there. This is absurd. And it's – the fact that we even have to talk about it is is crazy. There was – in an old Monty Python movie, there is – and this is from 1976, okay, so almost 50 years ago. Was that 46 years ago? This is the conversation that the boys from Monty Python are are having in this movie. It goes like this. And where the first character you're going to hear, he says he wants to identify as a woman. And then listen to what proceeds. Why are you always on about women, Stan? I want to be one. What? I want to be a woman. From now on, I want you all to call me Loretta. What? It's my right as a man. Well, why do you want to be Loretta, Stan? I want to have babies. You want to have babies? 
respect every man's right to have babies if he wants them. But you can't have babies. Don't you oppress me. I'm not oppressing you, Stan. You haven't got a womb. Where's the fetus going to gestate? You're going to keep it in a box? Here, I've got an idea. Suppose you agree that he can't actually have babies, not having a womb, which is nobody's fault, not even the Romans, but that he can have the right to have babies. Good idea, Judith. We shall fight the oppressors for your right to have babies, brother. Sister, sorry. What's the point? What? What's the point of fighting for his right to have babies when he can't have babies? It is symbolic of our struggle against oppression. Symbolic of his struggle against reality. All right, there we go. So that is 45 years ago. It was hilarious back then. But I, I want to make the point that the fact that they had such an articulate conversation about it is because somewhere in the university system, this whole idea was already beginning. It's just back in 1976, everybody mocked it, including uh, comedians, including Monty Python. And it's laugh out loud funny because of the absurdity. And yet here we are in 2022. And as long as I say I'm a girl, I can go into the girls' locker room and uh, and be there with them. That is the world we live in. That is the absurdity of the week. And uh, you're listening to Southern California Live. It is Open Phone Friday. I'll get your calls in a minute, 888-528-2557. And uh, <clears throat> there's an article uh, that was put out on a blog this week, a Common Sense blog. The, the article is called, "Girls, What Do Girls Do? Question mark. Girls Become Women. And it's by Heather Heiling. She's a American biologist, a former professor, and an author. And she basically is answering this question, what do girls do? Now, she's a biologist. We used to say, like 10 minutes ago, follow the science. That was the thing, unless it doesn't fit your agenda. And she writes about girls who, little girls who want to do different things with their life. And she says one of these girls might want to be an astronaut, the other a chef, another a mother, another a lawyer. One wants to be an actress, another a race car driver. Are all of these desires, she asks, equally likely, likely among girls? They are not. Girls are likely to want some more things more than others. But guess what? The girls who aren't girly are still girls. Now, this is a biologist. Remember when the Supreme Court Justice uh, uh, Katanji Jackson Brown was asked, uh, what is a woman? And she said she couldn't answer because she's not a biologist. Well, this is a biologist. This biologist says uh, the girls who aren't girly are still girls. You can tell in part by the fact that they grow up to be women because that's what girls do. Sex isn't assigned at birth. Sex is observed at birth and even sometimes before birth. And then after some scientific discussion about chromosomes and those kinds of things, she says the determination of what sex a baby is is usually based on an easy observation at birth. But it's not always the case. She acknowledges that intersex people exist, as do people with yet more subtle ambiguities in their phenotypes, and she gets into some of the science with that. But she's pointing out, that most of the time sex is observed at birth correctly, that by looking at primary sex characteristics or sex can be observed before birth by looking at primary sex characteristics in utero or by looking at uh, karyotype, more science. She says all of this, the fundamental is this. And she's talking about sex and gender being the same thing. Females are individuals. She defines it this way. Females are individuals who do or did or will or would, but for developmental or genetic ab- uh, animalities produce eggs. Eggs are large, uh, sessile gametes, and she goes through the science and ultimately says female distinguishes such people from males who produce small mobile gametes, which is what sperm is. 
And then she just defines woman. A woman is an adult human female. Girls become women. Girls do not become boys or men any more than they become fairy princesses or dinosaurs. Fantasize all you want. That is the stuff of childhood, and childhood is the stuff of humanity. But do not confuse fantasy with reality, else you may make decisions based on fantasy that will haunt you for the rest of your life. And do not expect the adults who are paying attention to pretend that your fantasy is real life. My friends, this is a fantasy. And it is something that is not helping people. You know, she acknowledges there are some cases of of people where intersex people exist. But right now, the numbers, you know, sociologists and psychologists are calling it a, a contagion, that it is people who think this is cool, that they think this is something that is somehow going to give them identity or or belonging or things that we long for as human beings. Um, and then people are causing themselves tremendous trouble by having medical experiments done on themselves that they grow to regret. It's a terrible thing. Philippians 4, 8, 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. We got to stay with whatever is true. And stick with that because that's how you're really helping people who and people who are struggling with dysphoria or other things. Uh, they need truth. They don't need a fantasy that is not reality that leads them down a bad path, that leads them into trouble, that leads us into reverse thinking like what's happening in Vermont at this high school. I got to take a break. It is Open Phone Friday. I see your calls. I'll get to you as soon as we get back. 888-528-2557. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. I'll be back as the Friday edition continues. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live Open Line Friday. We will take your calls here in our last segment. Anything you want to talk about, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. You can also send an email to SoCalLive at KKLA.com. Larry in Irwindale, thanks for holding, Larry. How are you doing today? Oh, good. And you, Scott? I'm doing great. Oh, good. Listen, I just listened to you and Officer Joseph. Yes. And he, he mentioned the six-week hold to get get them cleaned up a little bit. That was one of his ideas. Officer Dion Joseph was our guest in the first hour. He talked about uh, homelessness and mental health and what are some steps that we can do to change how we deal with people. And he said rather than a 72-hour hold, maybe we could have a six-week hold. Okay, go ahead, Larry. Yeah. Okay, now I, I talked to you before about the military bases. Oh, yeah. And a lady that just called after him told you about the halfway house. That's right. And the problem. Yeah. Well, again, like I said, we train the strongest military in the world on those bases. We can help those people by putting them there, giving them shelter, training. And on another show, you mentioned about admission. You went on to El Salvador, I believe. Yeah. Where you were involved with drilling well. Yes. Those people could be trained to do that and to give be caregivers. Now, are you talking about what they, putting people like these these people in the, in the military, or just using military bases to house people? No, no, no. I'm talking about training these people that need help. Like, would they actually be in the military, or we just use the same training to help them fit in better in society? You use the facilities. I see. The facilities. Okay. All right. Yes. Well, you and know. Oh, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. You can finish. 
Remember, remember when you talked to that young man from Team Challenge? Yes. And he said what they need is hope? Yeah. Okay, Union Rescue Mission, their, their unit out in the valley is called what? Hope Gardens. Mm-hmm. And, and you know why? Because they take those people under wing. Yeah. They and do. I'd also mention another time about, and you even mentioned today about university. Yeah. Our academic high level, and you said you mean like Harvard? And I said yes. Oh, on another conversation? Yeah. Oh, it was a start. It was a church that started it. Oh, that's right. But we let go. Yeah. Well, you have to. It, it's like taking. We can't take our children, and when they say they're twelve, well, now you're on your own. Yeah, Larry. Everybody I think uh, you know a lot of those ideas. I thank you for your call, Larry, and thank you for listening. A lot of those ideas are you know, interesting about how to help people. I don't think we can just put people in the military because we need the military to be ready for war. Um, but there might be some solutions that way. You know, we've talked about the problems with uh, mental health and and the legalities of taking people's rights away, effectively locking them up. It's not prison. It's it's training. It's uh, drug recovery and other things. The The hardest part often is that people have to want to do it. Um, and that's the biggest challenge with teen challenge and the interview we had, uh, recently, you know, people voluntarily go and like that and the union rescue mission and other places, it's a great ministry. If people want to recover, uh, or if we want people to recover, I think that is a, is a big place, um, a big part of the argument that has to get won. And the argument that we're not about recovery, that's some of the, that's what's going on with a lot of the homeless and even mental illness and even other things, drug abuse, other things, is that somehow we have an argument coming from the far left, okay, not talking about just liberals, I'm talking about the far left, okay, the idea that uh, what we want to do is, is allow people to do whatever they want with drugs or other stuff, but we want to reduce the harm that they cause themselves. We don't want them to overdose. We don't want them to you know, be out and causing other, other, other problems, but we also want to give them the right to take the drugs. And, you know, that's crazy. In my opinion, we need to be about recovery that this is not an acceptable lifestyle should not be accepted uh, in our society. And uh, that's a big part of what we need to do. And, but you still have to get people to want it. And you're right about the hope and the hope is in Christ. You're also right, Larry, that, uh, you know, a big part of what's happened really in the past hundred years, maybe 120 years, is the church has let go of a lot of what the church used to have as a responsibility for people who are suffering in this way. We let the government have it. And maybe with the, you know, a good intention originally, gosh, the government has all this money and all these resources. Yes, let's let the government do it. But then we let go. And I think that is a, you know, historically a big problem for the church is that, you know, we're the ones who have the hope to offer somebody that you're talking about, Larry, that's Jesus Christ. And how do you even want to recover if you don't have that, that hope of Christ that not only will you recover, but you will be used by God to do great things. And that's a big part of the hope we have in Christ is that we become a new creation in Christ, uh, not just for eternal life, but we become a new creation now. That's how God can use people who are former drug addicts and people who are former murderers and adulterers and people whose lives were full of sin and yet God uses them in amazing ways. Uh, that's part of the hope that we have in Christ, that we become a new creation once we believe and the Holy Spirit enters our life. 
888 um, 888-528-2557 is the number. Chad in Los Angeles, welcome to Southern California Live. Good afternoon, uh, Scott, Chad, City of the Angels. I just wanted to comment on what the girls did. You know, I was an athlete since I was eight years old. And, uh, you know, 50 football players, only 20 of them would take a shower. And the other ones put their clothes on and went home. And usually it's in the evening when we worked out. So you didn't have to really worry about B.O. in class <laughs> unless we had. So my, my whole point is the safest thing they did was biblical in protests, even in silence, to not go in there anymore. And if you weren't and, listening, uh, in the last segment we talked about the high school in Vermont where a, a trans a boy who says he's a girl is on the girls' volleyball team, but he is very much still a guy and trying to shower with them, and the girls were very uncomfortable, and they complained, and it's caused a big controversy. So go ahead, uh, Ted. So, you know, there's such things as sweatpants. You know, the girls don't have to take off their volleyball clothes, put your sweatpants on, and then uh, you can go to your class or go home. After practicing Pop Warner, you know, uh, we put a jacket on. The coaches would insist so we wouldn't catch cold because of the sweat. Are you saying and just you get, go, just don't, uh, that the solution is just don't go shower then? I wouldn't go in there and go shower. And, and, and if, if he has a right to go in there, then you have a right to make a decision on your own. Kids are not stupid. <clears throat> and that would be freedom, freedom of, of choice to say, well, I won't participate. Yeah, but Ted, do you think that the, that the guy has the freedom to basically go in and do that? He's a biological male on the girls' volleyball team. Does he have the – he's the one making the choice – uh, to do something, does does everyone else then have to lose their access to the the showers if they want them because of this one person? Well, you know, I'm not condoning that. Yeah. And uh, and and as I say, you know, now nowadays you're just going to get in trouble to try to protest it. I mean, the world I grew up in. I mean, you know, if somebody did that to my sister. You know, we would be on the streets talking about it. Yeah, but no, now <laughs> you, can't, you can't do anything In anymore. the world we grew up in, this would never have happened, or it would have happened once. It would have never happened. You'd have had an older brother come and straighten the kid out and there say, you no, go. you're not going to go in there. There's a lot of, even the schools would have handled it. It's just, it's, oh, I, and I think that's a big deal. You would have been expelled. You would have been in so much trouble for that. Oh, There's okay. no way. Oh, yeah. All right, uh, Ted, no thanks for calling saying. Southern California Live. Uh, Chris oh, Chris and Whittier, welcome to Southern California Live. It's got about one minute. Hey, Scott, great show as always. Thank you, Chris. Um, yeah, I wanted to comment about this homeless stuff. We can come up with all the solutions, great sounding solutions, but they're only going to apply to maybe 20% of this homeless population that are willing and able to recover. All the 80% are either unwilling, it's a lifestyle choice, or they're unable. They don't, not necessarily their own minds, or they're so gimped up with, uh, <laughs> with drugs, they can't willingly participate in any of these solutions. So that compels us to take involuntary action. I just don't know if our society has a stomach for that. Yeah, it would, we're going to have to do something. Chris, I appreciate your call. I think that where that conversation really took us was a place where we have to prevent it from happening in the first place. Because once you go down this road, it is so hard to to solve the problem. When In, in my dealing as a pastor with homeless people, um, one of the things I would try to do 
first and foremost, if I met somebody, is find out if they have family and find out if I can send them to their family. That's the first thing I did. And it works sometimes. The greatest moments I think I had working with homeless people is when I call up somebody's mom or dad and I say, hey, your daughter is here and she's homeless or your son is here. He's living in his car. He's homeless. Would you take them back if I put them on a bus and send them to you? And sometimes they would say no. They said, no, we've given up on them. We've tried multiple times. It won't work. But sometimes they break down and they say, you know what? I didn't know where she was. I had no idea where she was. Yes, we will take them. I'll never forget a woman who I sent to Wichita on a bus, and I packed her up in cardboard boxes, all of her belongings, whatever she had. We just taped them up in cardboard boxes. We shoved her, shoved the boxes on a Greyhound bus, bought her a ticket, a one-way ticket. And uh, I said, I never want to see you again in San Diego. You stay there with your mom. She agreed. And uh, she called me months later to thank me for that. And it worked. And, you know, I think it worked because she wasn't quite lost yet. She wasn't so addicted to drugs that she couldn't get help. And she hadn't burned so many bridges with her family that they were willing to take her. See, that has to happen early on. That has to happen right away. This is a big thing, I think, for the the church to think about uh, and for all of us in society in general. Out of time, this is Southern California Live. Thanks for everything today. I will see you on Monday. Scott Furrow, God bless you. Have a great day. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.